How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on Gangam OX. Yes, folks, welcome. Well, it might be 76 degrees outside, but the studio feels like it's about 84 degrees. Good grief. What, are we saving money by not turning on the air conditioning? Whoa, I'm steamy. Anyway, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a discussion about what's impacting your backyard, what's going on in the front yard, why is this area along my driveway, the grass never grows there, or uh, maybe your side yard, uh, that neighbor, uh, the new neighbor, I need to screen them so, or screen them. Specialty garden space, taste of the tropics, in other words, houseplants. How about your potting mix, your potting soils, how to improve your soil, shearing, pruning, removal of diseases and bugs and all those kind of things. And what I do is I share information, and that way you can make the best decision. My thoughts and orchestrations hopefully will help you solidify those options with a final judgment again on your part. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player in this game is Alex. Alex is producing today, so when you call, he will ask your name and where you're calling from. And it'll go from there. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Uh, Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which is a magazine that comes out every other month. And uh, during the week and weekends as well, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Ledoux off uh, McKnight Road. And uh, what I do is we look around, answer all the questions that you may have, and also I check out things that might be impacting your landscape that maybe you didn't understand or were concerned about or or just confused by. Sometimes the outdoors is a little confusing. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. Well, we know 4th of July is coming up really soon, less than a week away. And how about getting full fireworks for the 4th of July? And you don't really want to go down onto the arch grounds. Eh, Why? It's sometimes a little crowded, this, that, or whatever. Well, how about Keener Plaza, just west of the old courthouse? The grassy berm. Boy, it'd be nice to set up some lawn chairs there. Then you can see the courthouse, you can see the arch, and you can see the fireworks. Wow, what a panorama that actually is. And (laughs) there's some areas of lawn that's being repaired uh, there in the uh, Keener Plaza, but it's not enough to make any difference. But I thought this was really a cool sign. The sign all the way around, they have the area roped off, says, wow, 
That was some party. Even the turf is worn out. And please stay off the grass. Narrow, upright oaks. They're street trees. Usually you don't see oaks, but these are specific type of hybrids. They don't go wide. They go up vertical. And so it'd be interesting to see how over the years these do. And uh, because oaks, you know, they do like an acidic soil. And the city, you know, this is the long market and other streets where they do salting. So hopefully the city is going to compensate street department or parks or whoever takes care of it. The nice walkway through the whole Keener Plaza area, various types of stone either poured or cut. And uh, within the walkway, uh, Kwanzaa cherries. They're nicely limbed up, nice pruning jobs. So if you're unsure on how to prune, in other words, limbing up the tree so it's easier to walk underneath, just head down to Keener Plaza and check out the Kwanzaa cherries. They outline the lawn area. And a sign reads, Rue de la Place. What does Rue de la Place place, uh, work with or what does it mean or what is? It's Market Street. And what it is, it tells the history of Market Street, which way back when ran from the river's edge all the way through a natural break in the limestone bluff. And then there's more in the story as well. There's another sign that, you know, denotes the fact that here's a trolley stop. So you can park one place and walk for a while and then jump on the trolley and get all the way around and do whatever you want to. As you head to the north side of Keener Plaza, the winding, bending bed space with curving benches, plantings includes viburnums, bottle brush buckeyes, some hollies, hostas, oak leaf hydrangeas, golden rain trees, inkberries, and much more. A statue honoring Frankie Muse Freeman. She is an attorney at law, and the notes, there's all kinds of tells notes that you know, sort of like give the history of her. But uh, she began her career, legal career, in 1949, which happens to be the year I was born. Wow, what a coincidence. No, it's not that big of a deal. Birds and squirrels and rabbits were all over the place, adding to the morning setting. And uh, there was kind of a nice breeze occasionally. The catalpa trees, those bean pods dangled down. Uh, Running Man Fountain at sound and color with the uplighting. The playground there, just to the, I guess, south of the Running Man Fountain, um, says, uh, please be, be good. It says play rules. Take turns and no pushing, no shoving. There's recycling and trash cans as well. So it says basically keep it clean. Well, time to go. And uh, wow, I can't wait for another few days. I'm not, I haven't decided if we're going to come down for the t- downtown to watch the fireworks or not. You know, we kind of alternate each year. Tracy and I discuss, do we want to, how are we going to do it, where are we going to go, all that sort of stuff. But if you're headed down here, and you don't necessarily want to go onto the arch grounds, this would be a good place to kind of just sit and relax. That's Keener Plaza. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Speaking of Central Library, it's right where we are, basically. It's uh, just to the north of where KMOX and all the intercom radio stations are located. So, Alex, what's happening? Not much. <laughs> no, uh, we're going to go talk to Rob now in St. Peter's. All right. Hi, Rob. 
Oh, hello. Thank you for, for taking my call. Um, I just had a quick question. Um, I have uh, a couple of very mature burning bushes. They're really tall, and they line uh, between the two properties. And um, I did have them trimmed uh, a couple months back. You know, uh, they were pretty overgrown, and I had them trimmed. But they're starting to show a little bit of their red color now. Is that anything I should be concerned about, or is that just because of the strange uh, yeah, season we've been having so far? Yeah, you don't need to worry about it. Uh, as long as the leaves are healthy and everything else, for the most part, they're not turning brown or falling off. I've seen some burning no. bush that are starting to premature color, too. And it's just, you know, who knows what's triggering it. It certainly can't be cool temperatures or shorter days because we don't have any <laughs> cool temperatures or shorter days. So it's just right. one of those quirky things with certain plant materials. Okay. All right. Hey, well, thanks for your, uh, your call. Have a great and a safe fourth. Yes, you do the very same thing. Okay, we're going to talk to Judy now. Hi, Judy. Well, good morning. How are you today? I'm very good. And you? It's a wonderful morning, and I'm fine. Thank you. Great. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. But last week, a man from Highland, Illinois, called in and needed Boston Ivy. I don't know if I have Boston Ivy, but I have a lot of Ivy, and he's welcome to come and get whatever he wants. <laughs> well, I just Boston, need to get my phone number out there, so if he if he still needs the Ivy, he can come here and just cut it. Well, basically, Boston Ivy is a deciduous uh, Ivy, so in other words, in the wintertime or the fall, it turns bright red, the foliage, and then the foliage falls off, so then during the wintertime, oh. it just looks like stems. There's okay. balls, you know. There's other English and Baltic and Bulgarian ivies, which are basically they're climbers too, but they're <coughs> evergreen types. Mine stays green all the time. Okay, so then that's not necessarily the one that he wanted. But it's well-grown ivy. So if he still needs any, he's welcome to come and check. Six five four three six one one. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you very much, sure. and I listen to you all the time. Well, great. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you very much. Okay, now we're going to talk to Warren in South City. Hi, Warren. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, just wanted to mention to you that uh, early this spring, I bought a dwarf Alberta spruce. Uh-huh. Um, and I happened to, to have seen them from a neighbor potted. And so I went out and bought a, a beautiful uh, heavy ceramic pot, which, hap- which happens to be diameter of 18 inches and 15 inches tall. And I planted it using a potting mix, of course. And it is absolutely stunning. It is the most beautiful emerald green. Uh, It's just a beautiful plant. Now, my question is, what do I do to preserve it for winter? Do I bring it in? Do I wrap it somehow? I I am just overwhelmed with its beauty. Basically, ideally, Alberta spruce means it's from alberta canada so probably you should send it back if you know somebody in alberta canada and let them take care of it (laughs) no they're pretty tough and durable just make sure wherever you put it that uh you're not backing it up too close to a wall because that's generally the worst thing that can possibly happen and the alberta spruce is actually just let's say, a mutation on a regular spruce tree that was found multiple years ago, and it's just been, you know, cuttings have been taken from the original one. So it's, you know, it's really kind of rare. It's really kind of unusual. Uh, What you need to do is not this time of year, but when you're going to fertilize it as we go into – 
probably once maybe going into the fall or something like that. Right, and right. As we're coming out of wintertime, make sure the fertilizer is for acid-loving plants so it'll have iron and sulfur in the mix with the fertilizer. Right, right. Okay. Right now, it is freestanding on the patio, so there's nothing around it. Right. And it is truly a work of art. I just wanted to make sure that I got it through the winter okay. Yeah, you should so be fine. I'll just leave it out there as yeah. is. And see what happens. Right. And just, you know, if we have dry spells during the wintertime, what you need to do is, you know, take some water out. Not sure. a, you know, and just on a re- let's say routine basis, make sure it gets about a, oh an inch of water or so every two right. or three weeks. Well, like about uh, once a week for sure. If it doesn't rain, I'll use a sprinkling can and use the entire thing from top to bottom. Let it filtrate through the the greenery into the ground, and it's always very moist, which is what they said to keep moist, especially the first year. Right. Um, and it it it's the most beautiful. It's constantly in bud. It's beautiful. I've never seen anything quite like this. Well, I'm glad you found so, it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate your comments. Certainly. We're going to go to Diane now. Hi, Diane. Diane, are you there? Yes, go ahead. This is Anne. Oh, oh Anne. Anne. I'm sorry. I got Uh-oh. your name wrong. My fault. That's okay. That's going to come uh, out of his paycheck. A, yeah, well. <laughs> All right, we have a beautiful hydrangea that had one bloom. Can you give us any tip, tips on what to do about it? Basically, you probably pruned it, and you pruned off all the flower buds. Oh, okay. It's stop. my husband's baby. Yeah, oh, stop okay. pruning. Oh, okay. Leave them alone. We have hydrangeas, right. and most people... You know, they try to control them, even though they don't look at what mature size or anything else is, and they prune it, and then they're pruning off the flower buds. So just leave them alone. Okay, I guess we're lucky to get the one, but somebody picked that one. So (laughs) (laughs) we have no idea who. (laughs) But no more pruning. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. Okay, now we're going to talk to Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Hello, Joseph. Are you there? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. What I got is a question for you. I got a uh, a snowball bush, but it only blooms one time. Is that, am I doing something wrong with it, or is that just the type of it is? Yeah, that's the type it is. Most of the hydrangeas, which are snowball bushes, bloom once. It's only been in probably in the last decade or so they've come out with the rebloomers that can bloom continuously through the summertime. But for the most part, the old-time hydrangeas slash snowball bushes, it's one-time bloom, and then that's it. Uh, now, should I, should I trim it later in the year or just leave it alone? Basically, if you want to prune it, you should prune it probably within a month or so after the time that it finishes flowering. So, in other words, when the flowers start you know, changing colors, kind of going to a pinkish red, prune it then. Or the best thing to do is just leave it alone. Okay. All right. That's what I needed. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Okay. Now we're going to talk to Gary. Hi, Gary. Good morning. Good morning. I'm uh, out here in the rural Franklin County area, and I've got a gravel driveway that leads to the house, and I've got clover that is overtaking the driveway. 
with all the drama going on with the uh, Roundup, is there a different weed killer that you would recommend that would be effective in uh, eliminating this uh, overtaking? Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you want to get rid of the clover? It's overtaking. It's it's starting to cover up my driveway, my yeah. gravel driveway. So, in other words, if somebody that didn't know your driveway started to drive up your driveway, they would get lost because the clover is covering it all? Yeah, and it just it just doesn't look right with all... <laughs> I mean, it's not totally covered, but... Yeah, it just it looks like it's being ignored. Right. Well, it's, you know, to be honest with you, I wish you could kind of change your attitude and just let the clover go because it's helping anchor and everything else as far as soil and migration and erosion and all those type things. But if you want to get rid of it, I mean, clover is a broadleaf weed, so you can use a product like Weed Be Gone. Okay. But it's going to clover is a very very difficult weed to you know to kill to get rid of especially once it's established and so just realize that it's going to be a long involved process yeah i know i've I've sprayed it last season and it's back again this season right so uh so it's going to be an on that's why i would say if you could just embrace it would be much better but if you're going to try to get rid of it just realize that it's going to be multiple years and it's never going to be over because it's always going to be continuously coming back. Okay. I mean, realistically. Well, so I guess the only opportunity would be to pour concrete or lay asphalt. <laughs> yeah, that would be certainly, you could certainly do that. But uh, just, uh, I mean, it, it is, you know, violets and clover and a few other things, they are just really brutal to control. All righty. Thank you for the heads up. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you could try some horticultural vinegar. You could try various other products that are more organic to get it under control. But any of them, it's just going to be a a never-ending circumstance. Yeah, somebody had mentioned about spreading salt up and down the driveway, but I'm afraid that'll probably wash off into the the lawn and right. Certainly will. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean that's not something you really want to do anyway. And what kind of right. what kind of gravel do you have? Like pea gravel or bee rock or river rock or um, is it white? It's, it's a it's a white stone. I want to say it's about quarter size okay. at the largest. So probably it's limestone. So putting salt down doesn't make any difference because the limestone's adding alkalinity to the area anyway, and the clover is obviously you know just t- going crazy. You know, with growth, gotcha. even though it's already alkaline. So putting more salt on, thats that was not very good advice. Not a good, okay, gotcha. All right, thank you. Yep. All right, we're going to talk to John. Hi, John, how are you? Uh, Mike, I, like many people in the city, have a problem with the space between my sidewalk and the streets. Right. Fire gas, of course, is doing everything. <laughs> and then forestry department came out and cut down trees, and they did grind the stumps out. But nobody seems to be responsible for that area. And it's, well, it's just a mess all over. Um, I don't know. Should I try to plant grass? I, at first, I thought about spending some money and they had Musad and all that stuff down. But um I don't know. Any idea what to do with it that would look uh, fairly decent and not be terribly expensive? Uh, Basically, the reason why it's problematic to have lawn growing there, I mean, it's because it's a pizza oven in the summertime. 
So in other words, the sidewalk's heating up. It's you know making it's burning. I don't want to say burning. It's baking the soil. Then the streets heating up and coming the other direction. So that's why it's very very difficult to have a successful lawn. I mean, I have one patch. One strip in between two sidewalks, which cut in from the sidewalk to the street. And I've been working on it since we've moved to this house like 12 years ago. I've done everything from I've drilled holes and compost, backfill with compost and everything else. And sometimes, excuse me, sometimes it looks halfway decent. Now, this is zoysia. This is not a cool season fescue or bluegrass or anything along that line. And uh, it just... It's really kind of aggravating in a way, but I understand exactly why it happens because grass cannot grow in those narrow spaces where the ground is hotter than what, yeah, I mean, it is in the, let's say, a large expanse of lawn, even in small city yards. So you're never really going to have successful grass. What I have the most success with is I grow a type of sedum. And sedum is a, a basically a ground cover Flowers in May with yellow, I just have sedum acre, but there's all different kinds of sedum. It's steppable, so in other words, people can walk on it. And even that, you know, has some, you know, rough periods due to the heat in the sidewalk and everything else. But uh, there's really not successful lawn is not going to happen there. Okay, what about it? And I don't know, this may be more of a legal rather than a garden question, but um, what about planting things like barberry bushes or something in that area? Um, because the the issue isn't that nothing will grow there. It's that it's been so torn up by spiral, by spire gas. Right. And uh, so, uh, you know, and and they, they left a lot of stuff in the soil and blah, blah, blah. Right. It just looks terrible. Um so rather than try to clean it all out and do this, you know, because like you, for years I've struggled with having it look halfway decent. But uh, technically, would something like maybe those those little miniature barberry bushes, which would certainly keep people from walking on it. <laughs> True. Nothing like thorns. Um, would something like that work in that area with like you said, with the heat between and blah, blah, blah? Well, if the soil is really as horrible as you're making it sound, even barberry may have a difficult time. I just said the sedum because it can handle lots of different kind of rough you know, you know, situations and circumstances. What you might do is just get two, you know, a couple small ones, try them and see what you think, and then if you want to add more to it and because they're successful, then kind of go from there. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'll try that. Yep. All right. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know what part of the city you live in, but this past Wednesday, we had hail in our neighborhood. And this hail was coming at such a weird angle that all the windows in our house that were facing, let's say, the southwest because of the orientation of our house, I mean, it was like, 
it was just incredible. I've never really been in a hailstorm hail situation where it was actually hitting the windows that directly. But also, plant material-wise, a lot of the plants that you may have and I have really got some of the foliage, like on some cannas, mainly the cannas, it seems like. I don't know why them more so than anything else. But they, you know, they had, I thought there'd be just holes knocked by the hail. The hail ranged in size from pea size to probably lima bean size. So some of them got pretty big. It didn't go on that long. It probably went on for about 15 or 20 minutes. But it uh, wasn't quite enough to cover the ground entirely. But I was just surprised because earlier in that day, it was like super steamy, like you were almost in a, a sort of a jacuzzi circumstance, you know, without sitting in a jacuzzi. And then to have the skies turn that black, that quick, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, lightning right over our house. There was one lightning strike. I don't know exactly what it struck, but it, I mean, it made me jump. I was actually outside, you know, fooling around in the yard and stuff like that. But it was like just amazing. And then the hail started coming. I guess it wasn't bad enough. I didn't notice any dimples in my car. But, again, the canna leaves really got shredded. I, uh, some foliage got knocked off of the maple trees. We've got three sugar maples around our house, and it was amazing. But the, the kind of the most striking thing, I was in the front yard, which faces Christie, Boulevard, or Christie Park, and all of a sudden— just a giant gust of wind. And in the Christie Park for street trees, they have sycamores. The bark, you know, sycamore trees shred bark. And it's just, you know, that's just a natural habit that they have. We have bark in our backyard, which is probably maybe 50 or 60 feet away from where these trees are in Christie Park. That shows you how strong that wind was. It blew it over our front yard, over our house, into our backyard. That was one of the most amazing storms that I've seen in a while. So, and again, the hail—it's not going to do—it's not major damage necessarily. It's more aesthetic. But I was, you know, again shocked that the canna leaves were shredded like somebody took scissors and cut some of them, as opposed to just having holes knocked into them. So, that was quite the storm, needless to say. All right, we're going to talk to Marie in Godfrey, Illinois. Hi, Marie. Hi. Uh, I have three quick questions regarding three different plants. My first one is I have a cherry blossom tree. It's fairly young, um, probably three to four years old. Well, I've had it for three years, and it was probably one to two years old when I bought it. And it has branches that begin about three feet off the ground. And I don't really want those. I want the tree to grow taller rather than having them there. What's the best time to cut those off, or should I at all? Uh, you can cut them off. That's just limbing up, you know. But I would, so you've had it in the ground three years? Yes. So if you cut off, let's say, some of the lower branches, just make sure, uh, probably rel relatively small as far as lengthwise, if they've, if this was a more, more mature tree, then I would say you have to cut off the branch in sections. But what you need to do is, if you like the flowering, I would say just wait until next year in springtime when it flowers, then just prune them off after it flowers. And don't, and the stub you want to leave is going to be about a quarter to a half inch at the most. 
So you okay. don't want to cut. You don't want to cut it like right next to the trunk, but also you don't want to leave a four or six inch stub because that's detrimental to the tree's health overall. Now another okay. thing well, about that, this that was very helpful, but just to know to cut it one fourth to half an inch right from the trunk. Okay. And is a tree staked? So in other words, is uh, yes, yes, sir, it is. Uh, I would say it probably doesn't need the staking anymore, and I would oh, take good. any kind of stakes or supports off. Because when the winds blow, tree trunks and branches move. And what that movement does is actually encourages an increase in the diameter of the trunk and the overall health of the tree. So staking trees beyond one year is something that's not advisable. Oh, thank you so much for bringing that up because I hadn't thought of that, but yet... You know, occasionally I will walk past it and go, I wonder if I can take this stake away yet. Yeah. So that was very good. Thank you so much for that. Great. Uh, My next question, which I think somebody's called about Um, this before, but, you know, I have the knockout roses, and they've got holes in the leaves, but I've inspected as far as, you know, for slugs, and it's like it's not slugs. Right. So should I just use an insecticide soap and then... Uh, I guess part two of that is, and should I fertilize them? Yeah, definitely fertilize. You want to fertilize them every three to four weeks with a rose food. And as far as the existing foliage with the holes in them, nothing's going to change that. You know, And they're probably going to hang on through the entire growing season. So just hopefully okay. it's pushing out new foliage now, and the new foliage will not have any kind of holes in it because the insect that created the holes, they've already mi- migrated into adulthood, and they're not causing damage to foliage. Okay. Thank you for that. And then for Mother's Day, I received a hydrangea plant, which is doing well. And when planting that outside, does it require sun, shade, or partial sun and shade? It uh, depends upon the variety more so than anything else. But they're pretty tough and durable. Main thing is, you know, I don't know which variety it is, and I'm anymore. assuming it's a hardy variety. It's not just, you know, one that's more or less grown to be given as a gift. And then... Yeah. So it's... Uh, don't let me lose you. I'm, I'm looking at the tag on it. <laughs> Let me see to see if it tells the variety. Let me see. It says hardiness minus 30. Okay, wait a minute. Endless summer hydrangea okay. is what it says. So that's a re-bloomer type. So in other words, it will Good. Keep, and so basically you put it in, you can put it in a part shade or a full sun location. Okay, either one. Right. Okay. And just don't put it too close to a pavement, be it, you know, driveway cement sidewalks don't put it too close to the house they're not going to get huge but the reason why i'm saying keep it away from pavement of cement type is just because of the alkalinity that that has oh okay well listen thank you so much you've been very helpful i listen to you every saturday morning well great so you do a good service thank you sir well thanks for having me on your show okay now we're going to talk to flora in st peter's hi flora hi I have a red regular maple that is in an area that's kind of raised. It's got, you know, the little uh, retaining walls around it and stuff. Well, okay, I have been able to grow things in that area before, but now it seems like the maple has gotten so many little roots that it's just choking everything out. So what I'm thinking about doing is going in with some compost soil mixture and raise the 
level of the ground, about four to five inches, not around the base of the tree, but just everywhere else out from it, and then planting like some ferns and and shade-type things in there. Uh, Should I put that black cloth between the regular ground and my new area? No, never. Don't do that. No. Now, I will tell you, too, this may not solve your problem either, because unless you mix this stuff that you're going to add to the surface with the existing soil, it's it's going to be very loose and very, let's say, flexible as far as eroding. So when we have hard rains, it could just be washed, you know, washed away because it hasn't been put in and blended in with the existing soil to create, let's say, a structural blend that would actually anchor and stay in place. Hmm. So just well, it's it's got it's got a wall around it, so it, I don't think it could wash out. Okay, then that's fine. Uh, but I think uh, you know it's maple trees, and also maples their their tendencies to always have near surface roots, the feeder roots, and everything else. So regardless of what you put on the top of it, ultimately they're going to end up you know causing the same problem that you're having right now. I yeah, would say you're so. probably better off just to kind of probe around, look at ferns, look at hosta, look at the, you know, some of the coral bells and things like that, and find a spot mm-hmm. where there's not a whole lot of roots and then plant in there or just get a classic-type ground cover like the English ivy, the periwinkle. You know, Again, probe around, find sp- locations where there is not a whole lot of roots and plant them in that spot as opposed to doing what you're kind of considering. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Sure. And, you know, you could go ahead and do what you're planning, and you could call back in you know, a year or so and say, you don't know what you're talking about. This worked great. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe I can get in there and kind of chop it up or something. Yeah. Get that mixed mix together. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. Certainly. My pleasure. Okay. We're going to talk to Tom next. Hi, Tom. Uh, Hi, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Hey, listen, I've got two areas on either side of my driveway. I want to get your opinion. I put rock, decorative rock in there and got them looking really nice. Got a couple of concrete statues out there, but I could never get anything to grow because it's been getting hammered with rainwater and everything. Anything I put in there would die because it'd get too wet. So what I did, I bought, well, I got a couple of big old uh, pots. They're huge. I mean, they're 20 inches across or probably a foot and a half tall. Right. And I went ahead and bought, I went ahead and bought two dwarf Alberta spruce uh, plants, trees, you know, and they only get like four foot high, maybe three foot wide. So what I did was I planted them in them pots, in potting mix, naturally, and I dropped the pots in the ground, and they're only sticking up maybe, maybe an inch from the rock. And do you think those things will survive? Uh, you think they'll be all right? Yeah, they should be. I mean, that's a, you know, a good way to sort of address this type of circumstance. Good. I'm just going to leave them in there, too, Mike. I mean, during the winter and everything, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't, you know, don't try to take them out. Don't do anything else. And just realize that the Alberta spruce does get much bigger than what, you know, three to four feet. I mean, I've been in oh, houses really? where they've been uh, probably eight to ten feet high. So you don't anticipate that. But those have been in the ground for 50 years or whatever. So oh. you don't well, need to wouldn't you? Wouldn't you uh, think that being in pots, I mean, they'd only limit their growth uh, so high? It could certainly do that. That's like a Japanese bonsai. 
know, how they grow okay. big, big major trees in small little dishes. And it's just, it does restrict, uh, you know, the growth. All right. Well, I'll call you back in five years, if not sooner, and let you know how they're doing. <laughs> in five years, I'll be 75 years old. I don't even know if I'll be here. <laughs> I'll be 65. All right, Mike. Well, hey, thank you. I appreciate your opinion. Certainly. Okay, we got time for one more, and Ted. Hi, Ted. Hey, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Appreciate your show. Um, we went out and we bought uh, two clematis from a respectable nursery over mm-hmm. in Webster Groves. And we planted them in pots, and they're large pots. They're probably about uh, 20 to 24 inch across and uh, tall. And they're, some of the leaves are starting to dry up and turn brown-black, uh, and they're crispy. Are we doing something wrong? Should we not plant them in pots? We, we used a good potting mix. Um, any suggestions there? What could be going on? Too probably much water? The, the clematis just in general has a tendency to have a couple feet, you know, from the coming up out of the ground before the, any kind of foliage is going to persist. So, in other words, that's just the way they they mature and everything else. That's why a lot of people plant other things at the base of clematis because they don't like to look at those, you know, nasty, ugly stems. So I'm assuming that the foliage is turning, let's say, discoloring and turning brown slash black, whatever, is near the bottom of the plant as opposed to higher up. Well, you know, there's like two or three different um, uh, stems coming right. out of the ground, and, and they are hard, like almost like a wire. Right. And then, uh, but one of them, the actual, you know, some of them are green, but the others are still black crispy. So we may have lost one of those um, stems. Right. That could certainly be the case. But what okay. you can do is just take your thumb, scratch the bark on the one that you think may be dysfunctional, and see if it's still green underneath underneath the bark of, you know, just scratch like a half inch. And if that's the case, then just leave it alone and wait till next year. And I would probably just wait till next year anyway. As bad as, a you know, an agri, you know, aesthetically that this is, you know, looking, I would just leave it alone. Okay, but that's pretty normal the way those clematis grow. Right. They always have naked bottoms. Okay, and then for the winter, if we pile a lot of mulch on top of that pot, uh, will they survive, or should I bring those inside? No, you can bring them inside. They'd die inside just faster than they die outside. I would say just take a chance and see how well they're going to do, you know, and leave them in the pot. Don't pile up a whole lot of mulch. Just, you know, two or three inches of mulch is all you really need. Okay, and, and those are perennials? Yes. Okay, sir. Thank you very much for your show and for your um, your intelligence on the radio. <laughs> I fool everyone. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> sure. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, a lot of stuff going on right here down around the Soldiers Memorial, right across basically a parkway from the Central Library, Pride Fest. There's all kinds of things that are going to pray going to happen, but people are setting up booths and information and all this other stuff. So if you're planning on heading down here, realize how hot it's going to be, and please keep yourself hydrated because if you don't, you're going to not feel so well. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after the news. 
KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, George, for passing the baton. I think you were 10 seconds late, though. It was 9.06, 10 seconds. So anyway. Welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, your comments, your concerns, or uh, maybe you have some ideas. By the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections, the ups and downs and all arounds, uh, the annuals. I'm going to finally get rid of all my pansies. They're starting to really elongate a whole lot. The flowers are not, I mean, they're still flowering and everything, but uh, it's time for them to sort of go to the compost pile. How about your bulbs? No sign of those spring bulbs anymore, or there shouldn't be. They may be the foliage laying flat on the ground, which is okay. But your summer bulbs, your uh, caladiums for the shade, your elephant ears, your cannas, all that kind of stuff. How about your edibles, your vegetables, your herbs? Herbs don't want to be overwatered. Herbs do not want to be over-fertilized. They want to be stressed from that kind of standpoint to have the best, let's say, taste, best smell out of their herbs. And ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I like sharing my thoughts, but remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that's going to get you where you want to go. Alex is there. He's going to, across the big board, he's going to be answering the phone, asking you your name and where you're calling from. I spend a week doing landscape consulting, where I come to your home to discuss what's on your mind and also keep my eyes and ears open for what is going and impacting your landscape that maybe you didn't even consider. A landscape, uh, whether it's aesthetic or problem-solving, I can do it. I'm headed to Ladue today after the show. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage where my email address and phone number is listed. And you can contact me, and we'll set up a time. I'll come out to your home and spend uh, you know, time with you. Guess what? I've been doing this for over 40 years professionally. <gasps> Unbelievable. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. Get a lot of questions from, you know, from people. I'll tell you the best way or one of the greatest ways to learn from people that know how to do what you're trying to do maybe and they live in your neighborhood. That's garden clubs and plant societies and things like that. Like what about uh, Highland, Illinois? They actually have a garden club there. So you can go to freewebs.com slash Highland Garden Club. Who else has garden clubs? All kinds of people have. Jeffco Irish Society. Iris, not Irish. Iris <laughs> Society. Or the Lewis and Clark Garden Club. And uh, that's they're out in Weldon Springs. The Southwestern Illinois Hamrel Callis Society. Hamrel Callis, you go, what is that? Well, it's in Bethalto, and uh, that is daylilies. So all kinds of plant societies all over the place. Let's see, where's another one? The Garden Club of Lebanon. So Lebanon, none, Lebanon. That's in uh, another one. And let's see, how about Boone County Garden Club? Great. Or Boone Country? Hmm, I thought it was Boone County. But this says Boone Country. And uh, Edwardsville. So 
That's another one. And Troy Garden Club. So you can find these locate. You know, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden, their website. They'll list a lot of the plant societies. And if not, you can just talk to some people at your favorite garden center in your city, and they probably know about the plant societies that are you know local to you. And again, that is a wonderful place to learn and to get some information from people that have been growing all kinds of different plants for a long time. And they've had all the stumbling blocks and everything else. But maybe I shouldn't say, you know, contact those garden clubs and stuff because it might kill the garden hotline. <laughs> I hope it doesn't. Anyway, if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. All right, we're going to talk to Patrick. Hi, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. Hey, I want to ask a couple questions. I did a vegetable garden this year, and my tomato plants at the bottom are, the leaves in that are starting to turn yellow. Why is that? Uh, it's probably weather-related as much as anything. I wouldn't be overly concerned. Now, have you had any kind of fruit production off of them yet? No, I got a bunch of green tomatoes, okay. a bunch. So it's- None, n- no production. Okay, so as soon as you start harvesting, you can cut your plants back. That not that won't necessarily mean that you're going to have new growth at the base. But what happens as the tomatoes grow, the lowest leaves are now overshadowed by some of the leaves that are higher up on the plant, and then the plant goes, "Well, you know, you're not doing, you're not helping my overall health at all." So then it just compartmentalizes the lower leaves. So that's what's happening. Oh, good. I thought I was doing something wrong. No, you're not doing anything wrong. And the tomatoes that you're growing, now there's two major types of tomatoes. One is determinate. So in other words, they basically produce fruit once, and then that's it, and then they die, like Roma tomatoes are that way. And there's indeterminate, which is the majority of the tomatoes that we grow. Oh, thanks for letting me know about the Roma. I planted a few of them. So them are the ones. Once they produce, they're dead. Sure, what's your name? Oh, them are the ones that are just filled with tomatoes right now. I uh, mean, they're just filled. Right. So, in other words, they go for the big hoorah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Sure. Okay, we're going to talk to George. Hi, George. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Hey. Uh, got problems with deer and plants. Uh, we have day lilies, and the, the deer think that, that uh, this must be the honey pot and, uh, and the hostas. Right. And uh, I've uh, uh, tried netting, and I've heard about different sprays. Uh, besides killing them, uh, what method have you got to help? Uh, well, the repellents, I would say just try the repellents again and just alternate the products. Also, you might hang some Irish spring soap around. Apparently, Irish spring soap, they don't necessarily like the smell of it. It burns their eyes in or nose. So you might give that a try as well. Irish spring. Right, Irish spring bar soap. Any particular kind of spray? <laughs> no, just... <laughs> no, it has to be Irish spring. <laughs> no, I'm saying for the spray. Oh, the sprays, no. I would say just go to your favorite garden center and uh, just whatever one they have... Get the smallest smallest amount that they have, use that up, and then you get a different one. So in other words, sometimes the deer can get kind of overly used to a particular spray, and even though it may burn their nose and their eyes or something else, if they're really thirsty, they're going to go ahead and just you know understand that okay, I gotta you know I'm going to have this pain, but I need that moisture from these plants. Okay, thank you. Yep. 
Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concern about your landscape? How about hail damage to the plant material? If you are listening last hour, you heard me describe what happened to my cannas. Oh, anyway. If you got uh, questions about anything else in the outdoors, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're going to talk to Sharon. Hi, Sharon. This is me. Hi. Hi. I have a question for you. I have irises that I've had for years, and I gave my neighbor some to transplant a few years ago. <clears throat> she has, and I have two, on several plants, pods where the flowers were. I've never seen this happen. I don't know what those pods are. Uh, basically, it could, they could have been pollinated. So, in other words, they're not really going to be functional seeds or anything like that. So, it was just, you know, sort of the way nature works. Oh, I get a lot of pollination. I got a lot of birds and a lot of bees. <laughs> oh, great. Sounds wonderful. So, but it's no good. I can just cut them off. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. I didn't know for sure what was going on. Yeah, anything. They kind of look like those. Pods that grow on the fence with that fuzzy stuff in them. <laughs> yeah, that's milkweed. <laughs> milkweed. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't open these pods because I wasn't sure. I didn't think they would seed. No. Well, they are seed, but it's not going to be functional seed. Okay. Would the birds eat them? Uh, probably not. But you could maybe cut a couple open and see what happens. No, the birds won't. It's, it'd be difficult for them to get into it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. They love that sunflower seed, anyhow. Right. They don't want anything else. <laughs> that might suit. Okay, well, that's all I needed. Thanks yeah. for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, sounds like you spoil the birds. Oh, we do, but we love them. <laughs> all right, great. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk to Sandy next. Hello, Sandy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, yeah, I've got um, a question about my pond. Um I decided this year to grow, I just, we just put in a pond. It's a rock pond with waterfalls going down. And uh, I decided I was going to do ivy around it. And um, I'm, I knew it was invasive. And I've just put the ivy in. And I'm wondering if that's going to be too invasive. Is there a le- more, less invasive ivy? Uh, less invasive ivy, no. There's not yeah, really. They're, all, they're, they're, they're all invasive. Pretty much, because I mean, that's just kind of their very nature. It's kind of like, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. But uh, now, is this in the sun? Um, it, it's in. Uh, it's what? Well, it's part sun, um, and the one at the top is in a little more sun. So uh, I also put it in last year, and the one at the, t- the sun, uh, ivy at the top had a hard time. But this year, with all the rain we're having, uh, it's it's taken hold, you know, root-wise. Right. At something, it'll be okay. But uh, and it's surrounded by mulch, so if it gets, I'm thinking, if it gets invasive, I can just pull it. Right, uh, or just cut it off. I mean, yeah. Can, I mean, it's yeah. not that difficult. You're not going to have to do it like a constant type circumstance. So maybe once every year or so, you're going to have to go out there and prune the areas that have grown into the space that you don't want. But uh, yeah. I would say don't, you know, don't be overly concerned with it. 
Now, yeah. if you if you want to have something, I don't know how large this is or how many plants you'd need. I mean, you could get some perennial plants that could take a part shade circumstance and just plant those along the edge of the water as opposed to using a ground cover like ivy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, if I, I'd have to take out the ivy. Yeah, I, I have bushes uh, kind of in certain areas around it. Okay. And I have a whole perennial garden right next to it. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, and I, I discovered this year also, not to change the subject, but deer-like ivy. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, the la- it's last resort. I mean, it's, it's down their <laughs> list. Okay. But they do like it. Okay. And the, during the winter, they eat it. Um, so, but I have found with my perennials, I have hostas, daylilies, uh, and I, for 30 years, I've tried to get rid of the deer because they sleep in my yard. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and this last two years, I have found the solution to deer. They don't like 20% egg and 80% water. They do not like eggs. <laughs> so I spray everything with that and I... I'm not having deer problems. Wow. I've never heard yeah. of that one. Yeah, it works. It really I've got blooming hostas right here that they they want to come and eat and, and <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't. It's like they're very frustrated. <laughs> That's totally wild. I've never heard of spraying you know, a mixture of water and eggs to you know, yeah. be a deer repellent. It yeah, it works wonderfully. So. Well, great. But, yeah, yeah. So, well, one question for you related to that: Does it smell? Yeah. Can you smell it? No. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Just curious. No. They just the plants might shine a little bit more, but. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah. Well, good. Well, I'm. I'm glad to hear about the idea. I won't worry about it. So. Yep. Just leave it alone. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. Okay, we're going to talk to uh, Charla next. Charla? Mm-hmm. Hi, Charla. Hello. Hi. Um, hi. I have a question about coleus, and then I have a comment. Um, I, my coleus bloomed, and it has the spiky flower on it. Do I cut that off Absolutely. It's blooming? Yeah. Okay. You should get rid of it ASAP, because a lot of times when the coleus starts blooming, then it starts losing a lot of the foliage. So you really don't oh. want it to bloom, so you should have not you know, let it happen in the first place. But just, you know, cut it off and get rid of it and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. And also, I want to tell you happy birthday. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 70 years old. Oh, uh, that's still young. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so You're 70 years young. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, have a good day. Yep, you do the same thing. And with the coleus, I don't know, there's multiple uh-huh. varieties of coleus, but also pinching them back just in general, besides you know preventing it from flowering or cutting the flowers off ASAP, uh, you can uh-huh. make them bushier. Oh, that's great. Okay, that's good to know. All right. Well, great. Well, well thanks. I appreciate it. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. Certainly. And now we're going to talk to Mark. Hi, Mark. Hey, um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm out here in Hillsboro, and I have some very mature oak trees that are dying, and I and I think I might have oak wilt. Is there any treatment for that? Uh, once it gets to the point where you can actually see and you're su- suspect of it, 
Now, it could be just the age of the trees, but I would go ahead and get a, you know, get in contact with the county extension service and have the, you know, have somebody come out from the extension service and take a look. Okay, so they'll they'll do that for you. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, you could that's about the only thing you can do. So I mean, you could have an arborist come out too, you know, a private company, but I contact the extension service first. Now, I'm not saying that they're all going to do it, but it is a service mm-hmm. that they generally sort of look at because if it's a problem that could be problematic for, let's say, being spread, they don't want to have that yeah. happen. So right. that's what we're looking at. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Have a nice birthday tomorrow. Well, thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yeah, I do a lot of in-ground gardening, but also I do a lot of container gardening. Probably the majority of things that I grow seasonally for excitement and focal points and all that other stuff is in containers. If you're growing either, let's say, a window box, a hanging basket, a large container, realize that every time you water, there should be drainage holes in the bottom, and the water is going to seep down through the potting mix and then exit out the drainage holes. What what am I? Where is he? What's what's he talking about? Anyway, what you need to do is fertilize more frequently than if you had the exact same plant in the ground versus in a pot. Because as the water goes down, every time you water, it's leaching the nutrients from the fertilizer out. So every two weeks, you should be fertilizing all your containers. Now, containers pots, whatever, that you don't want to fertilize, I'm going to reemphasize this, is herbs. Herbs do not like to be fertilized. If you want to have good, you know, fragrance and good taste out of your herbs, minimize no fertilizing, you know, if your soil is halfway decent, so you don't have to fool with that at all. So where are we headed, Alex? We are heading to talk to Jane. Hi, Jane. Hey there, Mike. Hi. I'd uh, like to wish you a happy birthday. I'd sing you the song, but you'd lose the listeners. <laughs> so any- <laughs> anyway, what I wanted to ask you was this. I'm kind of worried about my hosta this year. My my son was looking out there, and he said, you know, Mom, they're not getting as big as they were last year. In fact, they're looking a little bad. They're horribly green. They look great, but they're small. Is there something I can do to sort of stimulate their growth a little more besides just spraying the miracle grow on them? I'd like to work something into the ground for them. Well, you've had a his. You've obviously had these plants for a while, and you're just saying the foliage this year is smaller than it has been? Yeah, yeah. And, and the plant itself, they look like they've been... Uh, morphed into some kind of a, a smaller hosta, <laughs> and I don't know if maybe it's an offshoot from the others, or can I stimulate the ground in some way to get these hosta to start boosting up their growth a little bit, well, or is probably, that out of the question? Whatever you do is probably not going to make that much of an impact this year, because Pretty much they're through as far as growth-wise. My guess is it's just a result of all the rain and everything we've had. Uh, the root system might have, be, let's say, been diminished for that fact. And consequently, the plant is just, it doesn't have enough root system to produce the foliage that historically it has. 
But what you can do is just go out there, you know, spread like an inch or so of compost on the surface and then mix it in with the existing soil. What you're doing is you're not feeding the hosta, you're feeding the soil, then consequently the soil will ultimately feed the plants next year. Okay. Well, listen, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you and your show, and you take care, okay? Yes, very much. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, now we're going to talk to Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Very good. Good. And happy birthday to you, too. Well, thank you. Um, you're welcome, sir. Uh, the reason why I'm calling is um, <clears throat> I'm calling about um, my uh, my dad. Uh, he's he's a bit older now, but he still gardens, and uh, last year his uh, his garden didn't look as great as it always has for years, and so... To make it a little bit easier on him and everything, uh, we what we did was with his garden is we built um, square beds, so it'd be easier for him to get around and garden. Right. And uh, and then of course we put you know soil in there and everything. Um, we used the existing soil that was in there. We actually had it tested, and everything came back great. Um, and so this year when my dad planted, um, his garden looks the worst it's ever looked before. Uh, and I mean, tomato plants, cucumber plants, everything just looks horrible. The only thing different that he did besides, you know, us building the beds and using the existing soil, uh, and some of the new soil, uh, is, uh, he didn't tell me this until late recently, but he didn't till this year. And I didn't know if that made any difference or not, but I mean, his, his garden just looks, it's the worst that I've ever seen it. Yeah. If he didn't till it, so in other words, it didn't really blend in with the stuff that you had added that could certainly Mm -hmm. have an impact very much so. And also with a raised bed, which, you know, you're talking about making, St. Louis Composting has actually a blend for raised beds. And, I mean, it's specifically formulated. But even with their stuff, even the quality being great and everything else, it still has to be blended in with the existing soil. Okay. Okay, so that's probably what – okay. Right. So, in other words, it's – they're just – they're not getting, you know, the nutrients they need, even if the soil's been tested or anything else. Okay. All righty. Well, he he didn't tell me that until recently, and so I, I was kind of worried that was it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I really enjoy your show all the, every Saturday, man. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Okay, now we're going to head over and talk to Richard. Hey, Richard, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing good, Mike. Uh, I just uh, got a real bargain on the coleus that you was, uh, they said to take the Spike out of the middle of it. Uh, it already had them on. Already had them on the plant. I guess that's why they gave them to me so cheap. So, in uh, other words, you're talking about cutting the flower spike off at the end yeah, of the stems. Yeah, I just went out since that lady, I believe, that was on the show. Right. Uh, I, I already uh, went outside and cut mine uh, off of there. Yeah, cut them. Don't let them go to flower. It really messes them up. Well, this is the first time that I've uh, put them in, and I love them. They're so beautiful. Yeah, they have great foliage. There's no getting around it. My uh, other question or comment is about uh, the tomatoes with the yellowing on the bottom. Right. Uh, I was told before that uh, mites will get under your plants, and you need to get underneath there with a good water spray. And uh, and go all around underneath the bottoms of them. Uh, do you have any comment on that? 
Well, generally, I don't think spider mites are all that prominent on tomatoes. I mean, I guess it certainly could be. But uh, spider mites cause more of a speckling as far as the foliage goes as opposed to just uh, turning, let's say, losing the color and then going brown. So, Well, you are certainly right. You just um, brought back my memory. I took some leaves off and took them to a botanical garden, and they looked at them. And they were spider mites. Okay. So, but then, they told me at that time they they did say to do the spray, the water spray. Yeah, you can wash them off. It's just you have oh. to make make sure that you get the underside of the leaf as well as the top of the leaf too. Right, right. You got a wonderful show, Mike. I sure do appreciate it. Well, thanks. The show is because you, of the listeners, not because of me. Well, you sure made me feel good then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Certainly. Okay, now we're going to head over and talk to Aaron. Aaron, how are you today? Hi, good morning. Hi. Um, got a question about Dragon Lady Holly trees. I planted two of them last fall, uh, and I'm standing outside looking at them now. One of them, they're about 50 feet apart, I guess. One of them looks healthy as can be. The other one looks pretty healthy except for the main stalk or the main stem coming out of the middle of it it's black and, and it lost all the leaves Ooh. off of it it looks dead but the rest of the plant towards the, the middle to the base of it looks looks healthy you know what's going on with that uh it's tough to tell it probably has to be related with water you know rainfall and everything else and also generally if plants start uh you know, having a circumstance like that, maybe this one that's not, you know, that's having this dead section in it was planted a little bit low and then water set around it and then caused the root system to implode to a certain point. And so consequently, it's the root system is not big enough to support all the above ground growth. Okay. So a couple follow-up questions to that. Since it's like the main stalk, um, the middle main stalk in there, is it, uh, is that is it just inevitable that the rest of it's going to die away, or or uh, do I need to trim that off at some point? Yeah, get or? rid of all the you know, get rid of the aesthetically the stuff that looks bad. But no, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all going to die. But it doesn't. It's not a good sign. I would take go out there and just look at, at the base where the root system is, and as I always say, three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about eighty percent as deep, and especially for things that are broadleaf evergreens like holly. Yeah, and, and I, like I said, I'm standing out here looking at it now. I think, if anything, I might have planted it, uh, I would have said anything like too high, not not deep enough. But, um, okay, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so. 20% of the root ball, the top of it, that's, you know, that's about how much you want above the ground, and just mm-hmm. put an inch or two of mulch over that. Okay, okay. So it sounds like you're saying if I was thinking maybe a disease or something, but it's, you're thinking more of just maybe a water issue. Yeah, a physical type thing. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Certainly. Okay, now we're going to go talk to Marsha. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Mike. I'm so glad to be on my show. <laughs> Great. Hey, um, I have a pin oak in my front yard, and I know it has galls, and I know the galls come from the eggs from the little wasps. Right. And for the last two months, it's just been shedding the just twigs with a bunch of leaves on it. And I've seen this on other pin oaks also. Are the are the wasps laying eggs, and that's causing chewing off those um, twigs 
to put the eggs into the branches like no, they uh, deposit what? the egg right into the stem of the you know the of the twig. What you have is you have squirrels, and squirrels are doing the chewing. And especially go out and look at any of the you know twigs that have right. fallen. If the end that has been chewed off is at a forty-five degree angle, then it's definitely right. squirrels. Okay, well, uh, I have them doing that on other trees, but. I mean, this has been going on for like about three months. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I walk really? through, through the neighborhood all the time, and I'm seeing it, you know, maybe the, this past winter or whatever, there was a lot of squirrels born, and they got to chew. And so they chew yeah. on whatever they can find, and they're chewing on a lot of, you know, ends of branches and stuff like that. Okay. I also know that they, the squirrels chew on the galls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, sometimes like, they do, and sometimes they chew on, you know, acorns. I was yeah. walking underneath an uh, oak mm-hmm. tree, you know, in Christie Park when I was walking one morning, and all of a sudden it was almost like it was raining pieces of acorns. And yeah. I looked up there, and there was about four different squirrels up there. <laughs> right. And they were just spitting right. it, you know, spitting it all back out, and it was, like, really weird. Yeah. Okay, well, I just, I just wondered about... Uh, the leaves falling, and if that might have been something else, or the uh, wasp things. Yeah, no, it's but. not related to the galls. Okay, alrighty, thanks a bunch. Yeah, and now if you do have twigs fall that have a you know gall at the end, that's related to that you know virtually compartmentalizing that particular end of the twig, and that's why it's falling. Right. Oh, I have those too. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm real familiar with galls. All right, but. Okay, well, thanks a whole bunch. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, whether you cut your lawn or you have a service cut your lawn, don't cut it too short. We're really getting to some intense time of the year as far as sun, sun, sun. You cut it short, you could sunburn the crowns of the plant, so your lawn is really not going to look so good. So on zoysia, about three to three and a half inches, and with bluegrass or fescues, about four inches. You say, well, that could be problematic. It's what you want to do is you're going to use those blades, being that long, to shade the crown to help the lawn's overall health. Okay, now we're going to go to Jules in U-City. Hi, Jules. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I have two issues. One is hydrangea. I know you've talked about that a lot. And we didn't trim ours. Didn't do anything. No flowers. But I noticed that most of the old stems had died off over the winter. Oh. But, But nothing new on it. And usually those things flower all summer long. Right. So if you don't, if you have a lot of dead stems and you've got no new stems coming up, that thing is dead. Well, no, there there are tons of new stems. Okay. But no, so it's quite full, but no flowers. Well, and if, oh, go ahead. And the one that we moved down to the other end has one flower. Well, if if they're let's say extended bloomers, so in other words, a variety that blooms all summer long. It's, the sequence just could be off a little bit, so don't panic. If they're ones that just bloom once a year and uh, you don't have any flowers, again, I would just say 
It's the weather. It's related to who knows what, and that's going to be more of a problem, you know, than anything else. Okay. So if and the foliage, the other... so is the foliage full size and everything? So everything looks yeah. good, except you just don't have flowers. Right. That. Yeah. So then that it's just it's weather related. So there's nothing you can do. Oh well. Okay. The other is crepe myrtle. We used to have like ten trunks, and they were over twenty feet high. Woo. And, and in fact, they were encroaching on the house, and I was wondering, how am I going to get out there and trim them? Well, the past couple of winters has taken care of that. Um, one trunk after the other has died off. And in fact, this late May, early June, uh, the trunks were brown. There was no green when you scratched it. Mm. So, I, so I took it down, and now we have hundreds of new shoots. Right. Uh, what I had done the past couple of years is try to pick the four thickest shoots and see if they would overwinter, and they don't. Yeah, basically, Any- you should have done it the other way. Cut out of the, all the larger ones and leave the younger, smaller ones. Hmm. Well, I was trying to grow a new trunk. Right. You know, something that would that would survive the winter. Right. So, because- go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Basically, the older, you know, as the crepe myrtle gets, because they're technically really not hardy for this region, then once they, you know, sort of in as big as this thing got, that was probably just an age factor as much as anything. Whether you lived in Florida growing crepe myrtle or you lived in St. Louis growing crepe myrtle, those are just old, dead, you know, old stems. Okay, so the new shoots, should I let them go and see if they survive? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, we'll give that a try. All right. Thank you much. Yep. Okay, now we're going to head over and talk to Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Mike, a uh, quick question on uh, pruning trees. Uh, I'd like to know if I could uh, prune some lower branches from yellowwood, ball cypress, black gum, and dogwood at this time. Well, I wouldn't prune the dogwood because of, you know, potentially, you know, viruses, fungus, and all that other stuff. Historically, I've always said maples, beeches, and birches can be pruned in the summertime and without a problem. Other ones I kind of recommended staying away from. But I read something recently uh, that said you can really prune any kind of shade tree uh, in the summer, which I know, you know, I'm a little bit iffy about on that. Like I said, historically, I always say maples, beeches, and birches only for summer. The other ones do it during a more of a dormant period. But this is, you know, something I read from the Missouri Botanical Garden says you can prune all shade trees in the summer. I'm just, uh, you know, I don't agree, but uh, that's the Botanical Garden. Uh, that's good. Uh, basically, yellowwood, bald cypress, and black gum, I assume, fall under that category of shade tree. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the, and the maple, I trimmed uh, just a couple weeks ago, and you're right, they, they trim beautifully in the summertime. Absolutely. Okay, Mike, thanks. Yep. Okay, now we're going to head over to Godfrey, Illinois, and talk to Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, Mike. Uh, just, uh, uh, just had a couple of questions about... Uh, about bushes uh, uh, like yews and and the like that uh, that we have around a home here in the Godfrey area, we've kind of let them get out of control and we need to trim them. And I'm wondering, uh, is it too, too late to try to trim them yet this summer? And how far we can trim them back? Yeah, I, I would not prune this time of year because everything you cut off, the needles that are now exposed, they're going to get sunburned. 
So I would say wait until the weather changes. So in other words, going into wintertime, sometime in September, prune at that time, or wait till we're coming out of wintertime in, let's say, February, March, and do the pruning then. But don't do it going into the summertime. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Been listening to your show just about as long as you've been on, and we sure love you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, now we're going to talk to Gene. Gene, could you do it kind of quickly? I must have a lot, a lot of people. Yeah, could you do it quick, Gene? We only got like about a minute or so. Hello? Hello, can you do it kind of quickly? We got about oh, a minute. okay. No, I'm not Gene. I'm Nancy, but I have a oh. question about some burning bushes, and they're starting to turn red. Yes. We've had Why a is that? Is yeah. that bad? It's, no, it's just weather-related, so we've actually had a call in the first hour related to that, and I've seen oh, okay. some, too. So as long as the foliage is not falling off or anything else, you don't need to worry about it whatsoever. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, the only, the only kind of yep. sort of downside is when the time when you expect them to turn red, uh, they may have already dropped their foliage, so we just don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Okay, real good. Well, I'm just concerned. Okay, yeah. well, thanks very much. Yep, and I think Bye. it's just weather-related. Some years it's going to happen more than others. Stress factor as well. A lot of the ones that you see you know, turning colors are close to pavements. The soil is really warm because of pavements and those sort of things. And I want to thank everybody for uh, you know being out there, for having me on your show. And please remember that if you were not there, I would not be here. And I certainly appreciate being here for over 25 years. It's been unbelievable, and I still truly enjoy it. Mike Miller, see you next week. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 